What's up? I am Machine Gun Kelly, and look, I know Halloween is going to suck this year because there's no trick-or-treating and all that, but I've got a treat. There's a musical podcast that I made with my friends 24K Golden, Ian Dior, and Dana Dentata, and Satan. Well, Satan's not my friend, but Tommy Lee is, and Tommy Lee is playing Satan. But don't just take it from me. Tell him, Satan. Thanks, dude. It feels great to be playing Satan on this podcast. Listen to Halloween in Hell on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or whatever you get your podcasts on. After you listen to today's podcast, here's one to add to your playlist. I'm Christian O'Connell, and I've had this thought for a while. What if you took the world's funniest and most interesting people... Hello, I'm Ricky Gervais. I'm Celeste Barber. Some people call me Beyonce. I'm Russell Brand. ...and asked them to share the stories behind their three most treasured items. No doubt about it, the guitar. I think I know the same chords now as I did when I was 14. From iHeartRadio, this is The Stuff of Legends. Add it to your playlist for free. Just search for Stuff of Legends in your podcast app. The role of political spokesperson or press secretary may seem like a somewhat glamorous gig. Certainly, Alice and Janney's portrayal of White House press secretary C.J. Craig on the TV show The West Wing made the role seem like it. But while Alice and Janney may have taken home four Emmy Awards for her acting on that show, real-life press secretaries may, in fact, be some of the best actors in America. Daily, they shed their own beliefs and opinions and instead take on the roles of speaking with their boss's voice. Sometimes, even when they themselves totally disagree. I'm Clay Aiken. This week, Politicon welcomes a press secretary with what some might consider one of the most challenging jobs in America, Hogan Gidley, Chief Press Secretary for Donald Trump for America. How difficult is it to craft a messaging strategy for a national campaign when the candidate speaks so often off script? Is it possible for President Trump to convince American voters that he wants to unify the country? Do policy successes matter if the public can't see past the president's tweets and theatrics? And win or lose, how the heck are we going to get along? Did you go to Always. school it's in so North weird. Carolina too? No, I went to Ole Miss, actually. Oh, but so, you're um, like I was high school. school Did you go to high school? No, I went to high school in Arkansas also. Okay, got it. Okay. Were you very, were you like the, the newspaper type person in high school or were you the political type junkie in high school? Um, I wasn't necessarily political. I did um, play a lot of sports, but um, I did do the newspaper. I, it was one of those deals where my mother was like, you got to find what you want to do in college. I was like, I don't know. And she said, everybody says journalism is fun. So I was like, whatever. So I just did Wait, that. So you didn't even um, know that's what you wanted to do? Oh, no idea. Well, you've clearly you've clearly hit the heights of it now. <laughs> I mean, you hit the well, top guess, of it. I guess that's fair. I mean, yeah. do, when I finished I, in high school, they were like, well, what do you want to do in college? I was like, I don't know. And they're like, why not journalism? I was like, sure, whatever. And then, but then when ended you get up falling politics? in love with it. So. When did you get into politics then? Um, in 2000, I was an anchor and reporter in Arkansas for a while. And then um, I, uh, Mike Huckabee. I worked, w- yeah. went to work for him when he was governor, and um, that's how I got to know Sarah. And, uh, you know, she was 19, 18 at the time, so I've known her for 20 years. And, um, you know, I just started working there in the, in the, in the office with the governor and, and loved that and then thought, you know, I can get back into TV one day and then never had a desire to get back into TV. And now because of the way politics is covered – you can actually still do TV without being on right. television all the time or having a show, and you kind of get to <laughs> right. scratch that itch. But you get so, to but enjoy you were, kind of the, the fun of that. 
So, but you were on the news and covering the governor and just I, had, an, had an affinity for what he was doing and thought, you know what, I want to actually well, work it's funny with him because instead. It's funny because our chief political correspondent at our station was actually covering the Susan McDougal trial in Arkansas. And that was the white, one of the Whitewater people. And right. so I got to go cover the Capitol while she covered Susan McDougal. And that's how I got to kind of know him a little bit. And then the conventional wisdom was he was going to go run for Senate um, because he had, he had lost for Senate one time and he, the second time he was going to win. But then he said, no, I'm, I'm the governor. I'm going to run for reelection and governor. And it's a long story, but he stayed there and I stayed with him. And then left and moved to South Carolina. And I lived in South Carolina for 15 years before I moved up here for, for this and you've, job. And most of your stuff has been like, but switching from being a news anchor to being a spokesman, I mean, I can't help but think when I'm talking to you that I used to give my comms director when I ran for Congress, I was like her worst nightmare. <laughs> because, right? she had, because she had to essentially be my voice and didn't get to be her own. Was that something you missed when you left being on TV and became a spokesperson for the governor? Did it, did you miss being, I mean, do you feel like you kind of have to become that person's voice and don't get to have your own? Did you ever feel like you lost your own voice? I feel, um, yeah, look, I, 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 I don't have much, no one wants to hear what I have to say anyway. So it's kind of, it's kind of, <laughs> Um, it's good that I'm speaking on behalf of other people who, who you know, people want to give money to and, and vote for, and uh, they would never do that for me. So I'm fine speaking on behalf of other people. But um, I, I, look, it always comes down to comms. It always comes down to press because whenever a- anything goes wrong, people are like, why aren't we getting good press? <laughs> it's always my fault. You know, it's always the right. comms people's fault. Um, so I have some sympathy for your comms director. <laughs> I remember I remember getting so pissed at her because I would raise, you know, less money than my primary opponent in one quarter. And the headline never said Keith Crisco raises more money. The headline always said Clay Aiken raises less money. And it used to piss yeah, me off right. so much. And I mean, sure. I realize now that it's because my name was more recognizable. It was a better headline to have. But that became yeah, I hated that. But do you I mean that's why you I imagine that's what makes it easier moving from the anchor chair and the reporter chair to being a spokesperson because you probably have a better relationship or know how to have that relationship with journalists, right? Well, you know, I've not thought of it that way, but I, I guess that's right. Also, I know what journalists want and or need for their stories. So I can package things better and give them information better, I think, if, if I want them to write something because I know what they're actually looking for. But also, I think the transition is something you just hit on that I didn't even think about till just now in my career. And that is, you know, as an anchor and reporter, you're telling other people's stories too. You're not telling your own. Right. So being a spokesperson for a candidate would make sense because you're just telling their story. It's like, it's almost like you're being a reporter for them, you know? So right. I guess it's I mean, not, as, not as weird as I thought. But you package, you have to package things today in ways that the people who are, I mean, because you're on the campaign now full time chief press secretary for the campaign. And so I have to assume there's some sort of contingent of journalists that follow you. There's a press corps that's, that's with the campaign all the time. Right. So you kind of get to know them pretty well. Well, I've known a lot of these folks already for like upwards of 10, 15 years, because I've been doing this for a long time. Um, The ones that follow campaigns are typically, typically younger. The the contingent I know for the most part are over at the white house. 
um, because I've been working with the John Roberts of the worlds and the Kristen Welkers of the worlds and right. um, <clears throat> Paula Reeds and, and those types over at CBS for a long time, CNN, of course, as well. But, um, you know, we don't have people because we're not campaigning in a conventional way because of COVID. There's really not much travel for this campaign. You know, typically right. we'd be all over the country right now. I mean, the president hit three, four or five stops just the other day. Um, but I wasn't on those trips. I have you know duty coming up on some some next one next uh, travel. But you know, I mean, you get to know them, sure. You get to talk to them, and and typically you'd be out for coffee or out for for drinks, and you would uh, out for meals, and you'd be telling them, hey, here's what we have coming up. This is interesting to your readers, or, or interesting to your viewers or listeners. How do we give you some good information or some quotes that'll help you guys write the story? There's none of that really right now. It's all via phone. So. Um, it's a, it's a much more you know different world in politics than it ever has been before. Do you feel it's do you feel that you are do you feel that you battle with the press? Do you think that that's an affair a fair verb to use? Do you think that you battle with them, or do you feel like they're sort of trying to help get the story out for you more? You know, um, in the past, I would say you know, we battle, and then we go have drinks and dinner, and just kind of say you know. You're where you are, and I'm where I am, and it's fine. I don't know that that's the case anymore. It, 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 there's still some. There's some still still some great journalists, quote unquote, out there, as opposed to just opinion writers. Uh, so much of journalism has just gone out the window. The profession has really taken a hit because you know people are just they don't report anymore. They give you their opinion, and that's fine. But they they mask it under the you know the rubric of of real journalism, and that's not what they're doing. So I would say nowadays the fighting can be a little bit more intense and the, the desire to make up or the desire just to hang out and, and leave work behind is, is somewhat more difficult. I mean, this president has had 95% negative news coverage against him since he took office, and that's by every statistical metric and, and every poll out how there. How do they measure that? Just with like word um, choice or how do they measure that? Well, a couple couple things. First of all, they take a look at some of the words used. So they oftentimes insert editorialized words. Um, you know, it's, it's not just you – know, there are two ways to, to really create bias. One is what you cover, and two is how you cover it. And I'm going to go back to your example. The headline, right, that they wrote about you, right. not your opponent raising more money, but you raising less, that gets clicks because you're yeah. Clay Aiken. So they'd much rather write a story – two things – the way they cover it is that, you know, Donald Trump is less or he's bad or he's horrible um, because it gets them clicks. Um, but also they, they don't like him. I mean, they just don't. I know them personally. I've had, I've had dinners with them. I've been in makeup chairs next to them. I, I know how they feel about him. So to pretend as though they don't have their own personal bias is just not true. Um, and that's fine if you do. It's just I, I have a problem when you take that into the professional realm of journalism. And so often right. – so many of these people do that, and that's what I have a problem with. But one of the things that I, you know, sort of, it took, it took until after the campaign for me to realize, okay, well, I understand why you put my name in that headline that way, because you're right, it is about clicks, it's because it's more interesting to people. But after the campaign, I realized, well, but, you know, that's sort of what I got into when I ran. I mean, is there not a point where you kind of have to say, well, that's sort of what 
you get into when you're president, I would imagine that most presidents from either party would say that their press coverage is always negative and they're always after me or they always want to make me look bad. I mean, is there not just a point where you you should kind of have to say, well, I need to make sure they like, I mean, I need to do something to make them like me. Is that a, is that a challenge that you try to conquer? Do you try to do things? Do you think the president tries to do things to to make the press a little less combative? Um, he has on, on several occasions and I've been with him when he tries to give olive branches and, and tries to work with them on stories. We, we try to work with them on stories and look, I, I don't want to be, I don't want to indict everyone like with a broad brush here. That's not my intent by any stretch, but it's just not, it's, 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 it's not, um, it's not that way. It, it, it becomes quite problematic when, you know, it is the job of the press to be adversarial to the president of the United States. There's no question right. about that, okay? But if you go back and look at the coverage of Barack Obama, look at the headlines, look at the information, it's stark to see the difference in, in what these uh, you know, two administrations back-to-back um, you know, did and what kind of coverage they received. I mean, you know, um, he, he, the difference between this president, quite frankly— is that he pushes back on the press like no Republican I've ever seen. Most Republicans are either self-loathing and they use the press to try and um, you know, say, look, look how bad some in our party are, please like me, um, or they just take it. This president doesn't take it. Now, it is the fact of the matter, so there's no reason to whine about it, but he's gonna call it out and say, this is just wrong. And I, look, I've been in meetings before I've seen what happens. And then I'll call a press person and say, no, that's not what you're what you're telling me you have from the meeting is not factual. I was there and I'll go on the record. Right. All these excuse the phrase, but these, you know, Billy badasses who say, look, I'll go. I'll tell you, but I won't go on the record. I'm so tough, but I won't go on the record and you know stake my name to it. And I'll tell a reporter I will go on the record. I'm happy to have that conversation because I was in the meeting. They'll say, there have been no, that's fine, but then the we'll facts. write it anyway. But, the, but then they'll write it anyway. They'll say, all right, no, okay, but still, we'll use you on the record, but we're going to let someone, some shady source govern the story. Or they'll say, hey, this is a, this is frustrates the, the tar out of me when they'll say something like, hey, um, you need to go on the record if you're going to refute this. And I say, but the person making the accusation isn't on the record. They're like, yeah, sorry, that's the way it has to be. I mean, that's just that's just insane. So that's but there's been plenty of times with. where there where where facts have not been accurate. I mean, <laughs> I mean even even what's her name Kellyanne Conway. Sorry, that was didn't mean to. I just didn't come. Her name didn't come to me at the moment. Where even she coined the phrase "alternative facts." I mean, we we there have been some times where what's come out of the president's mouth has not been factually accurate. Um, does that make your job harder when you have to? I mean, do you have to to kind of toe the line between? Or, or walk the fine line between correcting your boss and correcting the record? And, and which one do you choose when that happens? <laughs> well, m- look, often when I talk to kids um, uh, in college or whatever, and we talk about you know, jobs like this, I always say, you know, raise your hand if you voted. And they all you know, raise their hand. And I'll say, raise your hand if you voted for me. And no one raises their hand. Um, because they didn't vote for me. They voted for him, right? So it's my job to articulate um, the message he wants to, to get out there, the vision he wants to get out there. And so oftentimes journalists will take 
a tweet, will take a comment when he clearly is expressing, you know, something that 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 is obvious to to me and others, and they'll just twist it because of their own desires or because it, it, again, it's a better headline or it creates more chaos, whatever the reason or rationale may but be. But you're an advisor too, right? I mean, you, if, yeah, of if the president says something that may not benefit him, may not behoove him, do you not, I mean, how do you, how do you determine when your job is to repeat what he has said and defend what he has said versus go back to him and say, you know what, this might not be the right... I think today he tweeted to boycott Goodyear tires. Um, uh, I know Kaylee McEnany came out and and defended what he said. I'm sitting here thinking to myself, holy crap, wait a second. The biggest Goodyear tire manufacturing plant in the country is in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Um, it's a big swing state. It's very important. You boycott... I mean, I, I just have to imagine that people are thinking, wait a second, maybe you ought not upset and offend people who work for an American manufacturer. Do you ever think, okay, Mr. President, maybe we should back down on this a little bit. Maybe we <laughs> shouldn't push this. Or do you kind of just have to toe the line? Well, look, again, um, it's, it's, it's not my job to, to contradict um, the president or the messaging publicly. My job is to make sure that he has my opinions when he asks for them. But the president of the United States makes the call and, and I work for him and I, I serve at the pleasure of the president. We always say that in the White House. The same applies here uh, when I moved over to the campaign just a couple months ago. So, um, you know, if, and again, like, for example, you just point out the fact he didn't call for a boycott on Goodyear tires. He says, don't buy Goodyear tires. I'm reading the tweet right now. They announced a ban on MAGA hats. Like, they announced a ban on MAGA hats, and he said, don't buy Goodyear tires. And the first question you asked me was, why did he boycott? Why does he want to boycott Goodyear? He didn't say boycott. He said, don't buy them. Oh, come so on, Hoganite. Come see, on now. Well, you're talking, you see, you know, what's you the, the difference? difference between, see what's the, the difference? difference between boycott and don't buy? See I mean, the difference? When you tell people not to buy them. Well, I mean, don't, don't, Goodyear tires are used on the, on the beast, right? So yeah, I saw is, that. do you think, do you think the, the president will, <laughs> I don't even know who else makes tires. Do you think we're going to try? He'll, he'll tell well, the, the Secret Service to stop using those? <laughs> well, I, yeah, that's a great question. And I know that he's probably going to, uh, I think he talks to the press today at five o'clock. And that's a question that most assuredly will be asked. And we'll wait and see what see, he says. See, I'm that good. I could, I could be a White House press <laughs> in the press corps. I came up with such a good question. Right. And um, you see how I, I just referred you back to the tweet and then said he'll answer it later? You did your there job, you right? <laughs> what do you have? You been watching the um, Dim Convention? I have, yeah. And your thoughts? Um, look, I think they're trying to push two two narratives right now. One is they hate Donald Trump, but that was obvious from the moment he announced for president and came down the escalator four years ago. But they're also trying to say Joe Biden's a nice guy. Okay, great. Um, but to that, I say, so what? I know a lot of nice guys and a lot of nice girls who've run for president who should not be president. I know a lot of nice guys and nice girls in my, in my personal life and my professional life who shouldn't be president. My granddad was a great guy. Doesn't mean he should be president of the United States. It's a different, it's a, it's a completely different thing. But what's interesting to me is not what they're saying. It's what they're not saying right now in that, have you heard a single plan or platform or idea of what they're going to do for the country? Because you know, Joe Biden's talking about raising taxes by $4 trillion. He's promised that he would repeal those tax cuts to make sure that happened. That's 82% of Americans getting a tax increase in time of COVID. 
And then he's talking about, you know, 11 million illegal aliens getting citizenship and giving them free health care. We can't afford that. So they're not talking about any of those policy issues. Um, they're they're, they're kind of hiding their agenda and they're for sure hiding Joe Biden. I mean, he's still down in that hidey hole doing his thing. And so it's just been very interesting the first couple of days. Well, I mean, I mean, you you've been in far more strategy meetings than I could ever dream of being in. So, you know, that. I mean, obviously, if they're doing these things and they're speaking about them the way that they're, you know, they're they're framing their messaging the way they're framing them, they're probably in the same re- the same way that your campaign decides what your messaging strategy will be. They're probably doing it because they see it working. And if polls are to be believed, which is a completely different discussion, but they believe this message is working, and for whatever reason, they are believing that a messaging strategy of Unifying the country, empathy seems to be uh, safety from COVID, et cetera. Those seem to be the messaging strategies that are working for them, and it's bearing out in polling. So, is it? Are they doing the wrong thing if if it's working? And and should you guys be trying to to do something similar? <laughs> well, a couple things. Our convention is next week. I think you're going to see a marked difference between um, you know what, what we're going to offer the American people with inspiration and um, <clears throat> you know hope uh, versus what uh, the Democrats are offering. I mean, look, I, they can call it. Um, you know, they they they, they can say that um, they're trying to unify, but but those speeches are completely divisive. I mean, every time they open their mouths, it's an accusation of systemic racism and hatred for your fellow man. And America is inherently evil and we're the cause of so many problems across really? the globe. I mean, do you think people are hearing that? Listen, I'll be the first to admit, I found both nights to be somewhat dry and I'm a Democrat and I've, right, right, right. I've found them dry, but I haven't heard any messages of hate. You know, I don't think that, I don't think that anybody is, is peddling hate or or America is evil at all. And when you make a when you make a statement like that, sometimes it seems so hyperbolic that I'm like, wait a second, is he watching well, the same thing I'm watching? Well, he, well yeah, well here here's here's the thing. So every time I mean some of the speeches talked about um, you know, some of the people that that have have sadly been murdered by police officers this year, mm-hmm. right? That that's one thing. And and everyone agrees George Floyd's death, for example, was 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 ludicrous. That should never have happened. Everyone agrees with that. But they're saying things much further along the lines of that this is unstoppable. It happens all of the time. It's a swath of death by our, our brave men and women of law enforcement every single day. That's just not that's just not even factually true. And to uh, you know you had a preacher that said if you don't one of the preachers said if you don't um, you don't uh, have open borders. This country's going to go to hell. I just saw a tweet that they took out under God in their platform. I mean, that's not unifying. That that's completely, completely divisive. And and at the center of that is blaming Donald Trump for all of it. What's up? I am Machine Gun Kelly, and look, I know Halloween is going to suck this year because there's no trick or treating and all that, but I've got a treat. There's a musical podcast that I made with my friends 24K Golden, Ian Dior, and Dana Dentata, and Satan. Well, Satan's not my friend, but Tommy Lee is, and Tommy Lee is playing Satan. 
But don't just take it from me. Tell him, Satan. Thanks, dude. It feels great to be playing Satan on this podcast. This Halloween, listen to Halloween in Hell on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or whatever you get your podcasts on. Soundtracks available on Spotify or wherever you stream your music. But I mean, like, everybody's got a podcast these days. But what would I know? I'm Satan, for God's sakes. Don't even get me started. Why did wax replicants crowd an Italian church? And what do wax organs tell us about the history of medicine? Why does the Minotaur still intrigue us? And why would its bovine mouth crave human flesh? Hi, I'm Robert Lamb. And I'm Joe McCormick. Join us on the Stuff to Blow Your Mind podcast for the entire month of October as we take our annual descent into a host of bloody, monstrous, and terrifying topics. From forest spirits that beckon you off the path to wax sculptors on a rampage, we'll be looking at spooky subjects all this month to peel away the flesh and reveal the underlying science and history and leave you with an even richer understanding of a world that's always weirder than we can imagine. What sorts of scientific concepts can we glean from episodes of The Outer Limits or Tales from the Dark Side? And what's the ghastly history and promising future of blood substitutes? Join us to find out. New Halloween-themed episodes publish twice a week, with older Vault episodes re-entering the world on Saturdays to spread around some of last year's grisly offerings. Listen to the Stuff to Blow Your Mind podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I mean, this man was president for three and a half years. Joe Biden's been in elected office for 50 years. He's been there for half of a century. I mean, so I mean, it, at it, some point, is it mere puffery, though? I mean, didn't didn't Donald Trump, didn't the president say that Joe Biden uh, is against God? Do you think Joe Biden's against God? I think his policies, think clear, I think his policies clearly are. And if we're talking about, um, you know, uh, allowing people to go out there and protest shoulder to shoulder, if we're allowing people to loot and riot. Um, smash in storefronts, beat their uh, their American citizens, their fellow Americans within an inch of their lives who are innocent, just trying to protect their businesses from being burned to the ground. But you can you can't go to church, but you can do that. I mean, the president had a great tweet this morning that pointed out. So so you know you 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 can't vote, but you can protest. I mean, is that, it possible that, that politicians in general over the last ten or so years have gotten so hyperbolic with? both sides, that people just don't listen or believe anything that they hear from either side? I mean, I I have to wonder, why isn't what you're saying to me, why isn't it working? Because at some point, if that's, you know, the the White House, the campaign have both continued to talk about what's gone on in Portland, what's, what's, all these things that you've been discussing, but the poll numbers aren't moving. Like there's not been really any shift in poll numbers. Do people just at this point say what we've heard from this White House and this president is so over the top, unbelievably untrue that we can't, we don't know what to believe anymore. We're not sure. We're not sure. He says that Joe Biden wants to hurt God. I know that's not true. So maybe the other stuff that he's talking about is, is not, true too. How much does that make your job more difficult? Th- this, right, but this is where I was talking about, right? He didn't say Joe Biden wants to hurt God. He said that, he said Joe Biden is hurting God. His policies do that. I mean, just period. And then no one thinks you're taking a stick and throwing it at God, but God grieves 
when we do things that don't that don't um, you know meet uh, you know uh, his standard, what what he wants for our lives. And I have to tell you, I mean, I, I don't know what polls you're looking at because I I, I I don't know. I I'm see not what looking at internal ones. I, I know see, that. <laughs> But oh, well, yeah, I've, right. seen many, I, I see, but I've seen many internal polls, and I know how those work. So I know better right, but, than but, to trust but, them. A, a couple, a couple things you hit on there. I, I, look, there's a reason Congress is, you know, their popularity sits somewhere between, you know, smallpox and the plague, because no one trusts Congress. The media is is less trusted than Congress right now, and that tells you something as well. You can't take a look at video. And watch people, that guy the other night that just got kicked in the face, knocked unconscious by a, by a rioter. And then you can't have Joe Biden come out and say, I don't know what anyone's talking about. These are peaceful protests. You can't why have is it that when we see a video, we defund the police. You just can't. Why is it that when we see one video, we're told, you know, but you're taking this out of context. You didn't see the whole video. But when we see another video, like the one you're talking about, I saw it, no one wants to look for context. I mean, we, there are stories, there have been some reports that say that this particular person was trying to run folks down on the street with his truck. There are other people who say that he was, I mean, we don't know the context behind that video, just like we didn't know the context behind several other videos, haven't known the context behind several other videos. Why Why were you just looking for context on the ones right, that help here, us? Right, but, here, the but here, here, here's the great point. The media doesn't wait for context when it suits their narrative, they push it anyway. And they still push uh, an incorrect narrative um, on on so many of these issues in the past years. They don't care. I'm not going to disagree with you. I'm not going to disagree with you about the media having different agendas, depending on what channel you're listening to. Everybody's got one. What I'm asking is, if it's not working, if you're still 10 points down, if you're still looking at states like mine, North Carolina, which really shouldn't be this, should not be this competitive for Joe Biden. Historically, it's not a Democrat win state. Texas is closer. When you're looking at those things, and if the message isn't working, at some point, don't you just say the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again without any success? I mean, these messages aren't changing the poll numbers. Should the campaign start looking at a more unifying message and perhaps not being so incendiary? Well, again, uh, I would argue the message is uplifting. It is unifying. When you're talking about America's greatness um, and how we can get through these these things together, I think that's very important. Um, and, and that's something the president talks about every single day. When he goes out in the road and reminds people that um, you know, we, we didn't have a strong economy before in the previous administration. We didn't have someone looking out for the middle class. We didn't have someone looking out for the American worker. And now we do. I, I think that's a that's a very unifying message. I mean, there's a reason these police unions that supported Joe Biden in the past have all now moved to support Donald Trump because he's the one who stood up for safety and security. And I would argue, I think the message is working. The fact that some of the mainstream media don't want to talk about the message, that's fine. They don't have to. Like I said, you get to be you you, you get to be biased. You can decide well, what listen, to cover Logan, and when to cover and Fox's how to cover. Polls that aren't looking good for you too. I mean, most most of the polls are are showing that the president's message is not resonating and some of these things he's gonna win, right? Well, a couple things. First of all, the polling, the same methodology they used in twenty sixteen is the same methodology they're using now, except now uh, the numbers are even skewed worse against us. They were 
uh, you know, polling 36% Democrat, for example, in 2016 exit polls. Now they're doing 46% Democrat. It's 10 points higher now. They're sampling Democrats over Republicans. So they're designed to suppress excitement, and, and that's fine. That's what they do. We know that. We already have a plan for that. Uh, we're already moving in the right direction. That's why we're up in, in all the early primary states. We have a ground game like nobody's ever seen before. 70 million contacts we've made. Since COVID, um, since the shutdowns began, we made a million calls last week. Joe Biden made zero. Um, we, you know, th- th- this is this is a setup here that is designed to specifically target voters to make sure they understand the difference between um, Joe Biden's 50 years of failure in elected office versus President Trump's successes in three years. Um, that's what it's about. And hopefully we can get that message out between now and the election. I think we're doing a pretty good job of it right now. And the president is leading the way. Okay. I know I don't have you too much longer. So I want to get switched to our quick fire round. We ask our listeners to send in uh, questions specifically for you. Um, and they can do that at Politicon on Twitter or Instagram at Politicon or podcasts at Politicon.com. Um, I've got one. Well, you you pretty much already answered this, but Manny from Detroit asks, do the polls mean anything these days? Um, not, not really. Uh, I hate to say that, but, but not really. The methodology is usually flawed. There's bias behind them. A lot of times, one of the things you can always look for, if it's for a registered voter versus a likely voter, likely voter is a much better sample because that means they're wanting to vote. A registered voter, you know, a lot of times doesn't vote. That's one thing. And two is national polls. Usually always, if that makes any sense at all, use 10% of respondents from California. So love or hate California, it's not necessarily representative of the rest of the country and how it votes. So National polls should um, be outlawed. I'll completely agree yeah, with you on that. There you go. But the, but go. the registered, because it does, that's not how we vote, but the registered voter versus likely voter thing is, is a valid argument. But typically those likely voter polls start coming out after the conventions are done. So we'll start seeing a few more of those um, we'll here see. soon. Um, uh, Tito from Nashville wants to know, how will your campaign get Biden out of his basement? Well, it's funny. The media don't want us out there talking um, to the American people, and they don't want Joe Biden out there talking either. But it's for two different reasons. Um, You know, when when Joe Biden goes out, it uh, it it doesn't end well either. You know, he says crazy things like children love to rub on his leg hair, or Arizona is a great city, or all African Americans think alike. And when Donald Trump goes out there, his message resonates because um, you know, he's able to remind people just all the record-setting successes and record-setting time. And the forgotten men and women of this country uh, have been forgotten no more under this administration. And that cuts across race, religion, color, or creed. And um, it's, it's a record he should run on. Getting him out of the basement has been very, very difficult because, you know, quite frankly, the Democrats don't want him out. Um, they know the mistakes he makes when he has the chance to speak to people without the editing um, and without the scripts. And so, um, you know, short of going down there and pulling him out of the hidey hole, I just don't know how, how it happens. Because right now he's, he's content just, just sitting down there and, and uh, letting the media carry his water. What, what, what are you going to do when he does get out of the basement and starts doing it? I mean, he's got, he's got an interview with ABC this weekend. I mean, uh, presumably he will come out of the basement and start doing some of the, some more interviews, is that going to take away this particular argument or line of I, attack? I hate to say that, but that, that's a hypothetical. We haven't seen him come out of the basement yet. And also, um, 
No, it, it, it'll it'll probably just feed into the other part of the argument, which is when he does get out, it's very problematic. So chances are, if he does go out, it's going to be extremely scripted, or they'll just shuttle him back down there really quickly. And if you notice, even when they came out and talked about a mask mandate, he and Kamala Harris, they wouldn't let him take questions afterwards. That's unconstitutional. Like no, no one gets a chance well, see, to now ask that's him hyperbole. why. See, now that's hyperbole because it's what is? just, it's not unconstitutional to not let people ask questions. I mean, that no, gets no, no, no. I said a national a mask, a national mask mandate oh, the national is unconstitutional. Mandate, mask yeah, yeah, yeah. Mask no, no. He didn't have I to thought answer you were any saying questions. It was unconstitutional. No, 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 that's not hyperbole. No, it's, it's unconstitutional. I'm saying the press didn't get to ask the questions of any you know, of anything of how that policy would be uh, carried out. Like, do you go arrest people if they don't have masks? And why would someone, you know, I understand if you want to ride a subway in, in New York, put on a mask for heaven's sakes. But if you're out plowing a field of corn in Iowa, you don't need a mask on. So how would you police that? How would you enforce that? But no one had a chance to ask them that question because they shut them back down the hidey hole as fast as they can. But sooner or later, I hope, uh, he pays a political price for it, and I hope the press hold him to account. Okay, Catherine, last one. Catherine from Omaha asks, does the president believe any QAnon theories? Oh, gosh, no. I, I don't even know that he and I have spoken about it at length other than to say it's junk. I, 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 I he literally hasn't don't said that, has he? I don't know if he's been asked about it publicly. I think when the when the woman from Georgia won her primary last week, he was asked, and he had not he had not yet come out and say, "Do you think he needs to come out? Do you think it would be a good idea for him to come out and say these things are junk? These particular theories from QAnon are are invalid." Again, I don't. I'm not trying to be um, you know uh, evasive here. I'm just saying I, I don't really know anything about QAnon. Um, other than it's a bunch of junk. I mean, look, that's not what this campaign's about. It's about focusing on the record of of Joe Biden versus the record of this president. We think we're in pretty good shape. So I I don't know anything about that conspiracy theory um, or anything that 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 group does. I really don't. Um, So, I mean, they're they're I don't know enough about it either. We'll probably do an episode pretty soon to try to explain to me what it is. But as I said to my producers, they're certainly a left-wing version of it, I'm sure. Um, Our politics in general has gotten more and more extreme and divisive on both sides. That's why we do this podcast. And, And I think it's part of the reason that Democrats, at least in their convention this week, have, have stumbled upon or, or made a concerted effort to talk about unity and empathy, etc. But Politics in general just seems to get more and more divisive, and people are not willing to listen to the other side. That's, that happens on both sides of the aisle. They, they see a D behind someone's name, and they immediately dismiss them. They see an R behind someone's name, they immediately dismiss them. People are bashed for being too moderate, etc. Hogan, how the heck are we going to get along? Well, a couple things. I, let, let's... let's Twitter's not real life, okay? Um, the percentages of people on Twitter who, who you know, um, who, who, who make statements and comments in, you know, a couple hundred characters, um, that, that's not what real America is. 
And when I go out and I leave Washington, D.C. and have conversations with real people on both sides of the aisle, it's not with the same level of vitriol and hatred and anger that um, that we see here inside the swamp, quite frankly. And so I, I think uh, there is divisiveness out there, but I think a lot of it has to do with people who are um, – who are not understanding that there is a, a much bigger world out there than their little myopic, um, you know, Twitter machine. Um, and so I kind of, yeah, people have strong opinions and I get that a large, a large number of folks are now saying they're afraid to talk politics, um, uh, you know, with their friends and others. And, you know, again, I, I would argue, and I know you'll probably disagree uh, not to put words in your mouth, but I mean, I, I've I've been on the right for a long time. Uh, I've been a conservative for a long time, and I've watched this devolve more and more. That um, you know, when this president decided to stand up for conservative values and and not take it from the mainstream media, um, you know, you're upsetting you're upsetting their way of life, and they don't like that. Um, I, I've never seen the type of vitriol and anger come from the media, and I've been doing this now for you know twenty plus years. Um, they, they, they hate Donald Trump with a passion of a thousand sons. And I've not, I've not, I've not experienced anything like it in my life. And, you know, he, he, he is the solution to play their game or is it to rise above it? I mean, what is the role? I think it's, I think that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. They don't like, they don't let you ride. If you play it's such a it's such an interesting question and an interesting theory, Clay, because um, that's just not the way they think. They want you to obey, they, you know, uh, obey or adhere to their thinking and their and their way of of um, describing the world. And if you don't, then you're the enemy. They don't allow you to have a difference of opinion in so many cases. Um, they like short slogans and, and catchy narratives to try and push uh, agenda items that are that are just completely radical. You're seeing that more and more now with this with this convention and the Democrats. Um, and y- you know, I, I'll just tell you, I'd love to have a conversation with you. Come back on the show if I can after our convention, and 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 have an honest conversation about what you think the differences were. Okay, because well, we'll do because that. this is this is. This is an interesting time in this country, and um, you know, America is the greatest idea ever realized. Have we had difficulties in the past? You better believe it. But difficulties for a nation are not unique to America. What's unique to America is that typically we end up in the midst of adversity, coming together around the the knowledge and and the core values of. We, we stand together in this great country and we're going to come out of this better on the back end of it. And, and we, we are a beacon of hope. We're a beacon of strength, uh, of courage, of compassion across the globe. And what I'm watching right now um, from the left is, is, is not that. It, it is not the shining city on the hill that every American you know, um, you know, remembers from from the '80s campaigns of of other politicians who, who you know, talked about the uplifting values of this country. Of course, again, we've had challenges, but my goodness, this is but not. But I think there's some, some people. I think there's some people who 
listen, I, I, I've, I've been doing enough of these shows to recognize most people just don't see the other side's argument. And it frustrates me because I can hear a lot of times Republicans and Democrats are saying the same thing in different keys and saying the same song in different keys. And there are a lot of people, I would argue, who are on the left who want to feel like America is unifying, but who for whatever reason, feel left out by this particular administration, feel that this particular administration is caring only for the voters who show up at his rallies and not so much for those who didn't vote for him. And I wonder how you're able to convince people that that's not the case, that yes, as you, as if, if it is true and you, and you're, you're accurate and your president, the president, sorry, does really support people of all cover, colors, of all ethnicities, of all religions, of all sexual orientations, how can he convince them and how can you help him convince them of that when, sure. so, when a lot of the rhetoric doesn't really sound that inclusive and, and that empathetic? Well, we don't want to conflate issues here. So, for, for example, I mean, this president... Um, I'll touch on the economy, then I'll touch on some other things. But I mean, um, Rick Grinnell is one of my really good friends. He was an ambassador to Germany, um, the first openly gay cabinet member. He just posted a video online. I think is 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 um, is really telling and a really strong story. But the fact that the Democrats and Joe Biden have been talking about criminal justice reform and didn't do it for decades, Donald Trump did it in three years. He built opportunity zones in inner cities for the African-American community. And when we saw wage increases for the first time in 40 years, opportunity zones saw an, an average of 8% higher, faster wage increases than the rest of the country because of the things he did. Funding for historically black colleges and universities has gone up under Donald Trump, and now it's codified into law. They used to have to come in every single year and ask for the money. The president said, nope, you're not doing that anymore. We're going to make sure you guys get it, and we're going to put it in uh, into law. Things like that, that you can just point to criminal justice, uh, as I said at the outset, they were begging for that forever, and this guy did it. And so pointing to those types of things, I think, are very important as we move forward in the campaign and reminding everybody his policies of, of, uh, of making sure you can afford um, you know, insulin, uh, for example, lowering prescription drug prices for the first time in 50 years, that actually helps all Americans. That's not a race issue. That's an American issue. And I think this president has met the challenge every single time. So if the if the policy issues, listen, uh, my mom's a big Trump supporter. She will. You've got her vote, at least her. Well, heck, you got hers and pretty much the rest of my family's in North Carolina right now. Um, man fired me off of Apprentice and she's still voting for him. But <laughs> <laughs> nevertheless, I, you know, I I ask her often, you know, she she knows we don't agree on politics. I ask her often how she feels about this, that or the other. And I'll tell you what she and pretty much most of my family say. Sure. Inevitably, they like the policies that mm -hmm. the president has implemented, but they wish he would stop tweeting and talking. Sure. And so, does it make your job more difficult when, and I'm not going to argue with you on whether or not policies are good or effective, that's not the point. But if your policies are policy positions that you believe 
have improved the lives of minorities or have improved the lives of everyday working families. If you believe that the policy part is there, like my mother and my family do, right? but the rhetoric and the tweets and the, for lack of a better word, behavior (laughs) exhibited Mm -hmm. by the president outside of the policy stuff, if that has overshadowed some of your policy successes how difficult does that just make your job? Because people aren't really wanting to see the policy stuff now from from your campaign, Hogan. They just see the loud tweets and the and the you know yeah, they just see the caricature. Even even the people who are voting, like my mother, who who are going to vote for the president, still say, "I'm going to vote for him for his policy." But I just wish he'd stop tweeting, and I wish he'd stop talking, <laughs> and just do what he's doing and <clears throat> stop talking. Isn't right. that the challenge that you have to overcome? Saying over and over, "opportunity zones," etc. Whether one agrees with them or not, they're just you're not breaking through that 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 superficial presence that the president has given out for the last three years, right? Well, uh, well, again, I, I would disagree with the characterization of the superficial presence. But, but uh, look, if, you're, if, you, if you think you're the first person that's ever told me somebody likes the policy but didn't like the rhetoric. <laughs> I'm sure I'm not. <laughs> right. You're not. But, but, but the fact is, at the end of the day, people want a leader that, that can not just make a promise but keep a promise. And they want that promise to improve their lives. And this president has done more in three years than I would argue most presidents have in eight. It's not just trade deals that affect the economy and, and, and you know, real people out there. It's peace deals with uh, Israel and Arab countries. I mean, this president is not the average politician. I think everyone knows that at this point. That's all baked into the cake. That may be um, you. May, that may be the highest agreement you've ever had from anybody. That that poll question would probably get ninety five percent. He is not the average typical politician. No, he, he's not. And they didn't they didn't elect him to be that. And so for us, you know, the American people are going to have to decide: Do they want a politician who's been around for fifty years, still talking about the same stuff he never was able to accomplish for fifty years, but he's talking about leadership? I don't know how those two things jive, or would they rather have someone that actually gets stuff done, but they don't like seeing his tweets every once in a while? I mean, I think the, I think I think I think it's pretty clear for most Americans that they want real results, and they've had politicians tell them lies for decades and decades and decades, and never come through, and then say, "Here's what I promise I'm going to do. Eventually, one day, I, I swear I'm going to do it. One day, this guy did it in three years. It's accomplishment do after you worry accomplishment." That you and I'm just saying, and that's, in the, and that's in the face of some of the most political uh, attacks, the biggest onslaughts with a fake, phony Russia investigation that turned out to be a big nothing, that uh, was a witch hunt, this impeachment scam, this Ukraine call. They came after this man with everything they had, and we're now seeing people altering documents in the biggest law enforcement agencies, uh, the FBI, the CIA, coming after a political campaign spying on uh, American citizens for this. And he still was able See, to do into, the promises. Now you're getting into the arguments that play to the base because that's not, and that's, I mean, certainly some of the things you were just talking about, Ukraine, Mueller, et cetera, are, are 
arguments that really rile people up at the rallies. But do you worry sometimes that maybe you've spent a lot of time in the bubble playing to the base and playing to the uh, for those lines that have really gotten the big cheers at the rallies and maybe not enough time working on those what what Mitt Romney called the six percent of voters who are persuadable? <laughs> the, the Mitt Romney who lost Mitt Romney? Well, that one, I'm yeah. not, listen, I'm not going to, um, I'm not passing yeah. a judgment on that. I'm just saying that, that yeah, is, yeah. He, 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 he may have gotten bashed by Democrats for that, but he wasn't wrong. I mean, there well, is, there well. is a small segment of the population in this country that is persuadable. And right now they're being persuaded away from you. Yeah. Donald Trump outperformed Mitt Romney with women. He outperformed Mitt Romney with minorities. He outperformed Mitt, uh, Mitt Romney. You're not with, running against Mitt Romney right now. Uh, no, I'm just, I'm just telling you, right, I'm saying you're I'm giving me saying. advice for, you're giving me advice from, from Mitt Romney. No, I'm just, I'm, I'm just saying that that particular Romney. point, that particular point he made was accurate, that there is a small segment of the voters that is persuadable. And that's yeah, kind, of what, are. I, that's and, kind and, of what my big question was here. No, how I got do, you. How do those extremes get along? And how do you, but how do you also not lose that middle chunk of America? Well, look, if you think the federal government spying on American citizens doesn't cut across party lines or freak independence out, then you got another thing coming because that is a serious, serious thing to do. And as this information comes out with the FBI knew that the FISA warrant, for example, was fake. In January of of 2017, and kept up the investigation anyway. I'm sorry, that's something that freaks people out. And the base, sure, they don't like that at all. But they're they're going to support that anyway. But you're telling me Middle America isn't concerned that now we have evidence the government went after an American citizen with no evidence. I, I'm, I'm telling all, you, all I'm saying that, is that's a big deal. Is that some of these things feel like they are political attempts <laughs> that haven't worked. And so my question is, and, and, and I'm sure there are probably listeners who are going to be screaming that I'm not rebutting you on these things. But the reason is those arguments have been made by both your side and the Democrat side, and they haven't really moved the needle in either direction. So I'm, I'm asking and I'm wondering, and I know you're going to have to go and I can't yeah. thank you enough for the amount of time that you've given us already. But, but how... Do we stop with those incredibly partisan attacks and actually talk about the things that really do move the needle, that really seem to move people to the voting booth and really seem to move people and affect their lives on a daily basis? And, well, and I would argue without the hatred. No, no. I, look, I, and I understand. I, I'm just. I would argue that's exactly what we're doing. And and when you see our convention next week, I think uh, again, I'd like to come back on. We can discuss the juxtaposition of the two. Uh, but the fact is, um, th th this president has done more for every single um, American, regardless of 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 their background, uh, than anybody else. And he's done it without partisan blinders on. Um, he he doesn't ask, you know, what party is this person with. He asks, um, you, you know, what what can I do to help their lives and make their lives better? And, and go down the litany of things we would argue whether it be rebuilding the military, um, whether it be, you know, like I mentioned, trade deals that actually protected American families for the first time and didn't kowtow to China. Um, you know, those are, those are tough, big decisions this president had to make that, that you know, strengthen families, uh, strengthen America. Uh, but, you know, it, 
that's what this that's what this entire first term has 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 been about is to make sure that American lives are better now than they were before. And we were attacked by an unforeseen, unprecedented virus from China. We we shut down travel immediately. Let's not forget it was Donald Trump talking about coronavirus um, in the State of the Union speech. And we all know what Nancy Pelosi did to that State of the Union speech. She tore it to pieces. We're talking about shutting down flights. We did it from, from China and from Europe to try and prevent, slow the spread. A lot of people in the room, a lot of doctors said you didn't have to do that. The president did it anyway. The Democrats called him xenophobic and racist for doing it. And now Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks and everyone else has come out and said that decision just saved lives, period. And, you know, uh, just the revisionist history of, of, of what we've been through with something like this virus is so infuriating for me because I mentioned to you before, I'm in the room for a lot of these decisions. I remember on March 31st when the president mentioned wearing masks and we put out the CDC guidelines on April 3rd. It was a month and five days later before all the press corps wore masks inside the briefing room. But to hear them tell it, they were ringing in the new year with an N95 mask and sipping on champagne. They weren't. No one was wearing masks then. We follow the science. We listen to health experts. We want to make sure people's lives were protected. And so um, those are the types of decisions in the face of, of of such animosity and in, in, in the face of, of um, the media trying to, to twist them into some horrific um, uh, uh, thing that motivated, motivated by something that doesn't even exist inside Donald Trump is ridiculous. He, he, he's motivated by one thing, and that's making sure um, the American people are safe and secure. And that includes with their, their jobs. Uh, it includes with their lives. It includes um, their American way of life um, and the culture that this country is the greatest, the greatest uh, country in the history of the, of, the, of the world. And that's what he's about. And that's what he's going to continue to say to the American people. And we'll, we'll see what happens in November. We'll see what happens next week. And we can come back on and talk about it then. Sounds good. Hogan Gidley, I'm going to let you have the last word there. Thank you very much for coming on and giving so much of your time to us uh, uh, with how the heck are we going to get along? Um, if you're listening, uh, Tune in. We'll have Hogan back right after uh, the Republican convention uh, to, to compare notes, maybe. Thank you so much, Hogan. I appreciate it. Thanks so much, Clay. I appreciate it. What's up? I am Machine Gun Kelly. And look, I know Halloween is going to suck this year because there's no trick-or-treating and all that, but I've got a treat. There's a musical podcast that I made with my friends 24K Golden, Ian Dior, and Dana Dentata, and Satan. Well, Satan's not my friend, but Tommy Lee is, and Tommy Lee is playing Satan. But don't just take it from me. Tell him, Satan. Thanks, dude. It feels great to be playing Satan on this podcast. Listen to Halloween in Hell on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or whatever you get your podcasts on. 13 days of Halloween. A remote hotel, the most unusual guests, a tour guide that can't be trusted, and the newest arrival is you. Why are you here again? They sound like someone you trust. I know you can hear me. Starring Keegan-Michael Key as the caretaker. Please make yourself at home. After all, this is it. One story each night, starting October 19th and ending on Halloween. From iHeartRadio and Blumhouse Television, listen to Aaron Mankey's 13 Days of Halloween on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.